The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning. Our scripture is uh, the book of Ruth, chapter 2. The book of Ruth, chapter 2. It's on page 222. If you look in the shelf in the chairs in front of you, uh, you'll find a, a Bible. Um, please f- feel free if you need to take it home. You, if you need a Bible, take it with you. Uh, that's Ruth, chapter 2, on page 222. Between Judges and Samuel. If you get as far as Samuel, then you've gone too far. Back up. Ruth is only a couple pages. Again, uh, Ruth, chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let's go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And he said to her, go my daughter. And she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to Come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the young men who were in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that you are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully toned to told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land to come to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here, eat some bread, and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat behind the reapers, beside the reapers, and he passed to her the roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until the evening. 
Then she had beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. She told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I have worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he came, said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with the young women, least in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley, barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of God. But now let's, uh, let's get ready to hear God's word together. And uh, I just invite you to pray with me and ask that God would have his way with us as we do so. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the promise uh, of grace. Lord, we pray that you would bring us to the place to be able to hear and appreciate that promise. Break us down, Lord. Humble us. Uh, let our rebellion be bitter to us. Let our need be clear to us. And then, Lord, as we see the reality of where we're at, uh, hit us again with the overwhelming beauty of your grace towards us. And let us be satisfied in that. Uh, this is what I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, are you aware, do you, do, you, do you know how much you need a refuge? Are you aware of that? What is a refuge? Well, a refuge is something stronger than you. That's one of its main benefits, right? It's stronger than you. Where you can hide, be safe, be provided for. A, a refuge is a place you trust. Its walls stand for your safety. Its strength protects you. It's in that refuge you find the protection, the provision you need. I think sometimes, you know, when life is going well, we might wonder if we need a refuge at all. Can you remember that in seasons of your life? Or maybe that's even you today. You're feeling pretty confident in your abilities. Uh, you're independent, you're self-sufficient. Maybe professionally, you're capable. Relationally, you're appreciated. Morally, you're good. Maybe you feel like you are your own refuge. You know, many times, and I, I think often by God's grace, life can seem to fall apart. Despite our best efforts, the financial situation disintegrates or our health begins to fade. Or maybe externally the things still look good, but internally we begin to find 
we're a bit of a mess. Relationships break down. Maybe loneliness is aching. Maybe the kids aren't doing well. Maybe the marriage is struggling. Maybe we've lost our sense of meaning or purpose in life. Maybe we have a sense of guilt, regret over how we've lived. It's in bitter times like that when things seem to fall apart, our hearts can begin to suspect I'm not enough. The things I was trusting in aren't enough. And you begin to realize you need a refuge more than you ever thought. And if you're in that place, I just want to encourage you that it could very well be God's grace drawing you to him. So where can we go for refuge? That's a part of the theme here in this book of Ruth. We're continuing our study. We started last week. We're at the beginning of chapter 2. And as, as this episode in our story um, continues, we see that Ruth and Naomi have kind of hit rock bottom, right? Remember last week, if you weren't with us, we saw Naomi's bitter times, bitter circumstances, bitter regret. They moved to Moab, chasing food. During a famine, and Naomi's husband died. Her first son died. Her second son died. And now she's deeply bitter, and all she seems to have left in this world is a stubbornly loyal daughter-in-law named Ruth. And, and Ruth's a Moabitess. And to an ancient Israel, that's not exactly a noble thing. And so in the context of the ancient world, the situation of these ladies is, is not only just painful, but it's also hopeless. They're, they're destitute. They have no way to make an income, and they realize how badly they need a refuge. They have nothing they can do on their own strength to fix their position Everything's broken down, and they just need someone's favor. And so the beautiful part of this story is right here at rock bottom, the place that seemed hopeless, where you have nothing left. There's nowhere else to go. Right here, right here is where they find favor, grace that's better than they ever would have expected, better than they ever dreamed and I'm sure that that theme is what God wants to give you, give me this morning as we take in this story. He wants us to find the refuge. So if you're taking notes, I want to frame this in kind of five points. The first three points are just walking through the story. Okay, think of it as, think of it as chapters in our episode. So we're going to see these, uh, maybe you want to look at them like scenes. First three points are scenes. The need, we're going to see the need, the discovery, the surprising discovery, and then the response. Those are the first three points in the story. Need, discovery, response. But then I, then I want to ask with you, I want us to think about this. What on earth does this story have to do with you and with me? I mean, just because you read a, a beautiful story, and so what? Uh, how does it honestly connect with you today? What reason will we have for that? I want to think about that with you. And then as we do that, we'll see the last two points, the fulfillment of the story and our response to the fulfillment. Okay? So uh, what do we have? We have the need, the discovery, the response, the fulfillment, our response. Then as part of that response, we'll take the Lord's Supper together. But let's begin with the need. We start in verse 1 and we see 
Ruth and Naomi are in need. Ruth, uh, Ruth frames it well in what she says in verse 1. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, verse 1, she says, uh, Ruth the Moabite says to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I'll sh- I shall find favor. What does Ruth need to find? Favor. She needs to find favor. That Hebrew word means something like an undeserving acceptance. It means grace. Uh, it's, it's, it's a context where you can't earn it and someone has to give to you. We need favor. And think of the ways they need favor. I mean, way number one, they need to eat. <laughs> now, I, I have never experienced in my life a fear that I wouldn't eat. Uh, maybe you have. But we, if you can just imagine, I mean, think of the anxieties you have. Imagine the fear that you wouldn't be able to eat You'd no way to provide just survival. That'd be terrifying. But we can imagine a, a little bit, right? We can relate a little bit. Have you ever wondered how the bills were going to get paid? Have you ever wondered how you're going to make it through a certain trying circumstance? And you realize you, you didn't have enough on your own? They need favor, so they need to eat. Not only that, you remember the context of chapter 1? Naomi needs favor in her bitterness. Remember at the end of chapter 1, she's so distraught and broken by the events of her life, probably her own regret. Her given name is Naomi, which means pleasant, sweet. She says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Anybody remember what Mara means? Bitter. My name is bitter. That's low. She needs favor in her bitterness You know, she believes very much in God, you remember? She believes very much in God, and she has a strong view of God's sovereignty, which I respect. God is in control, but she has totally forgotten about God's character. Totally forgotten about God's character. And she's bitter towards God, and she's rather cold towards Ruth. And yet, what does Naomi need? She needs Ruth to care for her so badly. She's an elderly widow with no children. She, in her bitterness, needs Ruth to care for her so badly. So Naomi needs favor in her bitterness. And that leads us to Ruth. Ruth needs favor in her efforts. Here we can be amazed again at Ruth. Some of you know what it's like to care continually for someone in great need. Some of you know what it's like, that 24-7 caregiving. And you know what it's like when that person isn't always thankful. Or maybe they've lost their abilities in such a way that can happen, right, with handicaps or age. They've lost their abilities to think clearly anymore, to be thankful anymore, and all they are is this vacuous need. Life brings us that sometimes. And here Ruth, and it's emphasized again and again, she's a Moabitess. So she's, she's not a part of the accepted culture. She's, she's very much an outsider, but she has made this ridiculous choice, practically speaking. She's basically covenanted herself to care for this elderly, bitter woman who is her mother-in-law. And she has said, 
I'm going to get you through. I'm, I'm going to your land no matter the cost, and I'm staying there. I'm committing to your people no matter the cost, and I'm staying there. I will care for you. Do you think, Naomi, or you think Ruth needs favor for that? Good heavens, yes. Moreover, the text, remember, we're in the time of the, any, any Bible scholars remember? We're in the time of the, we're in the time of the judges. So that reminds you of another aspect of what's going on here. It reminds you of the book right before Ruth. And we just, I just want you to see this one principle. Israel was meant to stand out to the surrounding nations so they could show the beauty of what it means to worship the living God who created all things. They were supposed to live according to his law, according to his standards, according to his precepts, and he would bless them so that all the nations would see the futility of their own idols and see the beauty and the glory of God. That's what they were, they were meant to shine a light to the nations. And instead, as you read the book of Judges, they didn't just become like the nations, they became worse than the nations. I mean, the, the last couple chapters of Judges, like you're kind of like, hey kids, don't read that until you're a little older. They're awful. They're corrupt. They're immoral. They're disgusting. It's ugly. And then when you see the author here reminding you again, Ruth is a single Moabitess going out to glean on her own. It's a dangerous thing for her to do. So we don't eat or I go glean among a people who very well could be corrupt. What does Ruth need? Favor. So just for understanding the context, there was a provision in Israelite law. I'll show you this. Uh, look at Leviticus 19.9. Leviticus 19.9, the Lord said to the people, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. So you would harvest. The gleanings are kind of what you didn't pick up. You, you spilled some things. Don't go back and get those. Leave them there. Verse 10, you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. Why? You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. There's some incredible principles here, right? God's concern for the poor and, and, and the law that you are not allowed to simply live for every bottom dollar. Not allowed to live like that. You need to leave some margin for the poor. There's also an amazing principle. The poor need to come and work to get the gleanings. Uh, work is good, it's noble, and so we want to make room for them to work and to succeed. These are complicated issues when you want to work them out. Um, I really like a book called When Helping Hurts, if you want to read that book. When Helping Hurts. Um, a lot of wisdom in there. Uh, first of all, motivating us to care for the poor and giving wisdom for how best to do that uh, and build up the poor. But anyway, that's really beyond the scope of what we're talking about here. This is what Ruth is leaning on, right? She's leaning on this reality that there will be some gleanings. And she's going to go after those. 
But of course, just because this principle's in the law, does that mean every landover, landowner is following the law and leaning gleanings, leaving gleanings? Well, no, it's the time of the judges. The whole point is, maybe they're not. Not only that, say there are some gleanings. Is it a guarantee that the other people working there will be kind and accepting to a poor, single, young woman who has no real rights? And then the scary question, what if the young men reaping aren't dignified, trustworthy young men way out in the field? Ruth needs favor. You know, the narrator gives us a little bit of attention as he starts with Boaz in chapter 1. It's something you don't, you don't quite see in the English translation. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. Now, the way we read that, we think he's a worthy man. We're thinking, oh, sweet, there's hope. But the Hebrew word here is a bit more nuanced. It can mean mighty man. So mighty man, the primary meaning is one of somebody who has strength. Maybe he's a warrior. Maybe he has power. He's a notable pillar of the community, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's worthy in character. In fact, you can find lots of examples in the Bible how mighty men are not worthy men. And so we hear of Boaz, he's a mighty man, and we're less questioning going, is he mighty in that way, or is he mighty in character? We don't know. There's tension. So now you think of Ruth, right? She's committed herself to care for this helpless, bitter woman. And the only hope for them to eat is for her to go glean. And so she's hoping, what, that she can find a field where there's some gleanings left. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good day if you come home with a meal, a meal from gleanings. Second, you're hoping you go to a field where the other people gleaning aren't going to be terrible to you because there's competition for the food. You're hoping you won't go to a field where they won't be reckless young men who would abuse you. You're hoping you'll go to a field where the landowner even cares about these things. So much hope, so much risk. And yet, what does Ruth do? She goes. Don't you love Ruth? Read this book through and through and through and watch Ruth. One of the great, great heroes in the Bible. And she takes the initiative and leans on the reality of God's favor. And the reason she does that here in love for her neighbor is that she's already banked her life on God's favor. Do you remember we saw it last week? It's one of the most beautiful pictures of conversion you will ever find in the Bible. And, and Naomi had said to her, you know, I can't provide for you. Go back to Moab. Go back to your gods. And Ruth says, there is no way I'm going back to the gods of Moab. Your God will be my God. She is relying on God's favor. And as she has relied on God's grace for her, that makes her courageous enough to go rely on more grace from God for her as she strives to love her neighbor. Isn't she amazing? So this is the need. What does Ruth need? Favor. What does Naomi need? Favor. Let me just ask you, what do you need? I suspect 
you need favor. We'll get there. Now let's see what Ruth discovers, what she discovers. So verse 3, she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. Now if you read this book, uh, do you, do you think the author of this book is really into karma? Like, Ruth threw out some good deeds, and the kind trampoline of the universe, you know, has sent the good deeds back to her. Is that the framework this guy's working from? No way. It's a bunch of people I've never met in the world, never met karma, never met Santa Claus, never met Mother Earth, right? Uh, karma, no. Um, just so happened the narrator's winking at you, right? It just so happened she comes to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who is the clan of the clan of Elimelech. That means this guy's related to Naomi through her husband. That could lead to good things. And so listen to this just so happened. The narrator's winking at you, right? Just so happened. Ruth needed favor. She didn't know what to do, so she made the best choice she could. Who's in charge of the just so happened? The Lord is in charge. She did not receive a prophetic vision. She did not read her astrology thing in the Moabite newspapers. She went out to serve the Lord, love her neighbor, and work for food, and God took care of the just so happened. Doesn't that remind us of the Christian life a little bit? Seek first the kingdom of God. What does Jesus say? All these, all these things will be added unto you. I've got the just so happened, God says. I've got it. Just so happens. He's in Boaz's field. But now we wonder, well, what will Boaz be like? He's a mighty man. Is he a worthy man? What will he be like? And of course, he blows away all expectations. Blows away all expectations as a gracious Worthy man to our relief. He's a worthy man. So, you know, that, that's another interesting question. Have you ever asked that question? What does it mean to be a worthy man? Ladies, you want to get, you want to get married one day? What kind of a man do you want to get married to? Think about this for my daughters. A worthy man. You got sons you're bringing up? What, what do you want your boys to be like? A worthy man. What, what does that even mean? Uh, you know, in our day, in our time, our culture is more and more, I think, clueless on this even existing, much less knowing what it is. So we get this picture here of a worthy man. Let's, let's just point out some of these things. Uh, you see Boaz come in, verse 4. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Now, how do you feel about that? You know, sometimes we hear people talk with church phrases, and it can feel like it's a, a little cheesy sometimes. What are you supposed to do with this explicit greeting right here? Let me tell you, when you're reading Old Testament narrative, Hebrew authors are not, they don't waste a lot of words. They don't waste a lot of scenes. If they're showing you something, they're showing you something on purpose. And when you get in the time of the judges, people talking to each other like this, you're supposed to go, oh, and this is the first thing you see about Boaz is his explicit reliance on the God of the Bible. 
It's this explicit reliance on the God of the Bible. Some commentators say this language sounds like Psalm 129, which is about how God sustains a faithful community through trial. This is a greeting probably with like a stubborn loyalty to God in it. It's, it's, it would feel like this. Good morning. We're relying on the Lord together. He's our refuge. And the response would be like, good morning. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. This explicit reliance on the God of the Bible. And it's counterculture, countercultural for their day. It's the time of the judges, the men of Israel. Read the book. We're often idolatrous, cowardly, tyrannical, not Boaz, and not this community. I find here just a great encouragement. You got this dark times of the judges, 400 years or something. And even when the times are dark, and maybe when the church at large, right? Here's the nation of Israel. Even when the church at large can seem hypocritical, God preserves communities of faithfulness who rely on on him. By God's grace, may that be us. May that be us. May we all express an explicit, genuine reliance on the God of the Bible, and in this case, in this context, especially our men. And I praise God for the ways so many of you, so many of our men, especially young men, love Jesus. You realize what a treasure that is, church? Men that love Jesus. That's the first thing you see is explicit reliance on the God of the Bible. Second, Boaz is a man of compassion. He notices people in their situation and is ready to help. He gets to the field, and the first thing he's knowing is not like, hey, you missed a spot, get me my grain. Did you see that? It's not, you missed a spot, get me my grain. He doesn't come in, and the first thing he says is, get to work, lazy. Or, no, the first thing he says is, who's that? Who's that? And you see throughout the chapter that that curiosity that leads, that, that leads to compassion. He notices people on the fringe and their needs, and he works to meet that need. He's compassionate. And as you're going to see, he doesn't just follow the law of, like, lean some space for the poor to glean. He goes way beyond the call of the law due to his compassion and he stands out in the context of the book. Remember when Naomi and Ruth arrived? We saw this last week. The, the narrator said, they came, they came. Two people came, two people came, they came. And then the villagers go, is this Naomi? And Naomi says, I came back with nothing. And Ruth's over here like, you know, I'm here. They don't notice her. They don't speak of her. Guess who notices? Guess who notices who no one else notices? The worthy man notices. He's worthy. He's a worthy character because he has compassion. And in this way, Boaz is like the God he trusts and serves. Read Psalm 103. It wraps up the book of Ruth so well. Read Psalm 103. Look at Psalm 103, verse 13. Boaz knows this. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Boaz is a compassionate man because he loves and relies on the God who is a compassionate God. So the second thing we see here about being a worthy man is to be a compassionate man. Compassionate man. Third, you see that Boaz includes, protects, and provides. 
as I've said, far above expectations. We won't go into all the details, but you see him say in many ways, he says to the stranger, a Moabitess, hey, be with the young women. Don't, don't just stay in the back. Come and, come and be with the young women. Work with them. Be part of them. Um, and her being a Moabiter or being poor is no obstacle to the inclusion that he gives. When it's time for lunch, he says, come and sit with us. In, that ancient, in the ancient Near East, if you offer table fellowship to someone, you're saying very explicitly, I'm your friend. He brings her in to sit with him, shares the food with him. It would have been shocking to her. He includes. He also protects. This is referenced several times in the chapter. Hey, you keep your eyes, with, you stay with the ladies. I've, I've spoken to the young men not to mess with you. He says that. I've spoken to the young men. Older men, let's speak to the young men sometimes. Let's speak to ourselves and protect. Worthy men, protect for the glory of God. So Boaz includes, he protects, he also provides generously. He would have been, if he had just said, all right, we're going to glean and we'll leave the, the or we're going to harvest and we'll leave the gleanings for the poor. He would check. He would have obeyed the command. But that's not what he does. He, he actually tells his workers, hey, be a little sloppy on your harvest. Leave a little extra. And, and he's kind of finding ways to load her up with the food she needs. He's providing generously. And you know, we take this for granted, but he invites her to use the water. But that's because you and I go, oh, water. Do you realize what a gift that is? We are kings and queens. The water comes out immediately and cold or hot as we desire, right? If you were going to glean in the old days, you have to find a water source and carry the water you need to where you're working in this hot field. How much water would you want to drink as you worked in the hot field? And then you have to go get more water as you're trying to glean. This is hard, hard work. The odds are against you. And for Boaz to be like, we have pots of water. You just come and you take whatever you need from our water. An enormous, enormously generous blessing. And he did not have to do that. He's going above and beyond the call of the law to include, to protect, to provide generously. This is a worthy man right here, isn't it? This is a worthy man. It just so happened she walked into his field when she needed favor. And she found maybe the one spot, maybe the best spot, the only place where she's going to get more favor than she ever dreamed. Look at her response at verse 10. First of all, can you imagine how she feels? I mean, have you ever experienced it being in a place of deep need and you could not fix the problem you were in? You couldn't do it. And somebody who didn't have to do it came and helped you, was with you, blessed you. What did your heart do in that time? Weren't, weren't you like melted? Weren't you amazed. It's hard to put into words how it feels when you receive grace like that, but it's a deep thankfulness 
And this is Ruth. Look at her, verse 10. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found what? Favor in your eyes. You see, this is what this chapter is about. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? I'm a foreigner. I don't even belong here. And you've treated me, treated me like, like I'm someone of deep value. She's amazed. And the favor only continues. Um, I want you to see another thing Boaz does as a worthy man. Boaz encourages Ruth in the Lord. That sounds real churchy, I know. Um, what does it mean to encourage? Give courage. <laughs> Uh, to, to point out to someone blessings, good things, resources, and kind of give somebody a vision. You can do it. You can make it. This is for you. And he encourages her in the Lord. Boaz says, I've heard about you. I've heard about you. And what did he hear about her? I, I love this in the context of our day and age. What did he hear about her? You know, if, if a guy says, hey, I've heard about you, you know, and you're watching some movie, like what's coming next? You're gorgeous, you know, or something like that. And by the way, Hebrew narrators know how to tell you when a woman's beautiful. Read Genesis. Read Esther. They're not afraid to point that out sometimes. Sometimes it's pertinent to the story. It has nothing to do with this story. You know what Boaz has heard about her? I have heard about your character. I've heard about your character. I have heard about how you left the gods of Moab to devote yourself to the God of Israel and how you've committed yourself to care for your elderly, widowed mother-in-law. I've heard of you. That's amazing. You know, there's nothing that excites a person who finds their refuge in the Lord like meeting someone else who finds their refuge in the Lord. (laughs) There's nothing more beautiful to someone who's like, oh, Jesus is my refuge, than when you meet somebody else who goes, Oh, Jesus is my refuge. And we go, oh, yeah. That's what Boaz says to her. It's been told to me what you've done. And then look what he says in verse 12. This is like a blessing and a prayer. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord. Because you've turned to him. I'm praying that more favor will come to you. More grace will come to you. May a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. And then this next phrase, this is the book of Ruth. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Don't you love what Boaz says here? He doesn't say, hey, you're lucky you walked into my field, aren't you? How many of you want people to kind of know when you've given them grace? You'd like it if people knew. You'd like it if people were like, ooh, you gave me grace. Look what Boaz points to. Where's the grace really coming from? It's coming from the Lord. It's coming from the Lord. The Lord is the source of this grace. He encourages her in the Lord. And so you find, you know, the deepest need. We need favor. We need a refuge. And we find the discovery of lavish favor in this refuge that at one level is a worthy man, but at the ultimate level, who's the refuge? It's the Lord. He's the refuge. 
And this rings throughout all the Psalms, doesn't it? Psalm 46.1. This is like a go-to. It should be. God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in trouble. God is our refuge and our strength. A present help in trouble. And again, look at Ruth's response, verse 13. I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Just one last observation here, and you see it in verses 14, or verse 14. Just back to mealtime, Boaz says, come to her, or, or come here, eat some bread, dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers. He passed her her roasted grain. And this next sentence, I think, is so beautiful. She ate until she was satisfied. We don't even know how long it's been since she had a meal where she was satisfied. Where she ate it all. She couldn't eat any more. And she actually had some to take home. She's satisfied. This may have been the first good day for Ruth since her husband died. This may have been the first time her taste buds were happy and her stomach was full, and we don't know how long. She was satisfied. In fact, she goes home with a big doggy bag of extra lunch and loads of food for the future. I'm not good with ancient world math, but supposedly this is maybe 30 pounds of grain she goes home with. Verse 17, she gleaned in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gleaned. It was an ephah barley. Just translation. It's like weeks of food. She went hoping to get home safely with maybe enough for dinner. And she comes back with like, you know, a load of food. She's satisfied. She's satisfied. Huge principle. There's only one refuge. There's only one kind of grace that will satisfy you. It's the grace of the Lord. It's the grace of the Lord. She's found favor. What does she need? Favor. What has she found? Favor. Lavish favor. Over-the-top favor. Incredible, unimaginable favor that left her satisfied. Now the response. She goes home to see Naomi. And I don't know what's going on with Naomi you know, Naomi's bitter. I don't know why she didn't go glean. Maybe she's too elderly. Maybe she's rough in her bitterness. Whatever. At any rate, she's thinking of Ruth and wondering, I hope Ruth makes it back okay. I hope she wasn't accosted. I hope she found some food. I'm hungry. Then she sees this lady like marching in with this heavy load, dumps it out, doggy bag leftover lunch which he saves for Naomi and Naomi says unbelievable where did you glean today where have you worked blessed be the man who took notice of you this is not normal gleaning someone has helped you Blessed be the one who has helped you. Gosh, she's hoping for a dinner. It's like Ruth had gone to Costco. 
eat. You know what's so amazing here? Is here is where Naomi begins to change. Chapter one, she's bitter, a little bit cold to Ruth, hardly notices her. Chapter one, she says, God is against me. He's like an enemy. He has wrecked me. He's left me with nothing. And now look what she says as she receives, look, Boaz's favor to Ruth enabled Ruth's favor to Naomi, which melted Naomi's heart from bitter to praise. Look, she's changing. Look what she says in verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, so, so Ruth tells her about Boaz, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. Chapter one, I'm bitter. God hates me. He's against me. Chapter two, God's steadfast love endures. That kindness, remember I taught you a word last week, chesed, you want to say it again? Chesed, okay? Steadfast love, kindness, committed love that won't quit. Naomi just praised God for his chesed, his steadfast love. She's praising him. Isn't that beautiful? She's changing. And now just a little sneak peek into next week, we'll get into Ruth 3. Naomi, her mother-in-law, says to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it will be well with you? Do you see what happens? What's, what's Naomi all of a sudden able to do as she receives the love of God through Ruth? She's able to think of someone else. She's able to think of someone else. She's able to think of Ruth. So the section continues with Naomi saying, this man is a close relative of ours, our redeemer. Just so happened you've walked into the right field. A man of worthy character who is our redeemer. We'll get into this more next week. But this is someone who legally can stand for them, buy back their lost property, take them in for protection, take them in for provision. He could take them under his wings. He could be a refuge, someone to provide a future. And he's a worthy man. Hope explodes in their lives. They've gone from nothing to satisfied and hopeful in the scope of one chapter. So what have we seen so far? Need, desperate need for favor, discovery, lavish favor, and the steadfast love of God. Response, what's the response? Praise to God and committed love for others. Do you see it? All right, now let's be cynical just for a minute. What does this story have to do with you? You ever read the Bible and thought, oh, cute story. So? I mean, think of these. This was written to a group of people under the Mosaic law who uh, worship by uh, going to the tabernacle under Levitical priests. Okay? Any of you uh, ethnic Jews who worship by going to the tabernacle in Israel through the ministry of the Levitical priests? No. In fact, if you wanted to, you couldn't. It doesn't exist. And you think, well, maybe I've, I've been like Ruth and I went out to try to glean and I didn't get ridiculous favor when I tried that. Or let's make it a little worse. Let's, let's, make it, let's make it really bad. You saw this ethical standard of what it means to be a worthy man. 
Hey, fellas, have you, have you always been worthy men? Have you always been in love with the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Have you always not only tried to follow his law, but, but go full into what it means deeply from the heart? Have you always, fellas, have you always tried to protect women? Or have you not engaged in things you should not have seen and you kept looking? You did things you should not have done and you kept doing it. What do I do with the story when I look at myself go, I'm not like Boaz. Or we saw this other ethical standard of Ruth, this deeply committed love to someone who doesn't deserve it. Do you, do you love like that? Do, do you always do that? And so we're, we're left with a story, and in one sense, we're like, wow, that's amazing, that story of favor. In another, story, another, in another way, we're like, I'm not sure what it has to do with me. And then maybe there's a doubt where it's like, I'm not sure I want it to have anything to do with me because I can't keep the standard I'm seeing in here. And the reason I bring that up is because it's supposed to show you your need. There's, there's a theme here that's so much deeper than food so much deeper than food. We'll get, we'll get into more of the details later, but you know, Judges ends with, there's no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own sight. And then Ruth ends with, hey, can you believe who Ruth's great-great-grandson is? Who is it? It's David. The, God's going to use the king after his own heart to redeem his broken people. This is about how God's working in the nondescript normal to bring about his whole redemptive purposes to save. In fact, and I don't know how many greats to add here. Do you know, read, read the Gospels, read Matthew. Do you know who the great, 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 I don't know how many greats. Great, 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 great grandson of Ruth is? Do you know who it is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. You need favor. You need a redeemer. You know where you find it? Ruth tells you ahead of time, you find it in Jesus. Look at Ephesians 1, 7. The book of Ruth, in two verses for us, Ephesians 1, 7. In Jesus, we have what? Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his Grace, his favor, which he what? Lavished upon us. If you have put your faith in Christ, your life is like the second chapter of Ruth. He's the ultimate redeemer. Jesus is the true as, true Boaz. He is the Boaz par excellence. Uh, look at the favor of God for us in Jesus. Uh, how about this? Has it just so happened that you stumbled onto Jesus' field? Think of, think of your wayward life, your lostness. And it, it just so happened that someone somehow connected you to the message of Jesus. Was it an accident that you heard of Christ? Was it an accident that you were interested in? Or as you sit here today in the fields of Christ... A local church that loves him. It just so happened 
that he's brought you into his field. And, and is Jesus a worthy man? Is he the worthy king? You want to see favor? You remember how Boaz was full of compassion? Read the Gospels. Read the Gospels and you will never see anyone like Jesus when it comes to compassion. He's touching lepers. He's seeing, he's seeing the outcast. He's, he's seeing people. The, the major beat of his heart in the Gospels is compassion for people. He sees your story and cares. Cares. He's compassionate. He acts for those who trust in him. What about, what about Boaz including, protecting, and providing? Does Jesus in his favor include? If you trust him, if you put your faith in him and what he does, you will be united to him. You'll be part of his body, part of his bride. You'll be adopted as a child of God. There can't be greater inclusion. Does he protect? On the cross, he protected you from the wrath of a holy God that you deserved. He is the only one who is as worthy as he should be. He's the only one who loves like he should love. And on the cross, he took the place of those who will trust in him. He died on the cross, taking on himself the wrath that I deserve for my sins, that you deserve for your sins. If you will trust in him, you have been, you found your refuge from your greatest problem. So the just wrath of God we deserve for our sin. There is your refuge. That's his ultimate protection, but it just goes on from there. Doesn't he protect you from, from so, doesn't he protect you from the wiles of sin? Doesn't he guide and guard your life? He protects. Does he provide? Does Jesus provide for you? Paul can say in Romans 8, all things work together for the good of those who love God. Remember how Boaz prayed for Ruth? Look at what Jesus does. Paul says this, Romans 8.31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare up his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. If, if you trust in Christ, God has counted you righteous, and no other voice can compete with God's voice on that. Verse 34, who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed, what's Christ doing for you? He's interceding for you. And guess what? In Christ, you'll be satisfied. You'll be satisfied. Jesus, friends, is the worthy man. Jesus is the redeemer who takes his people under his wings, who buys them back at cost to himself. Jesus is the one, compassion, who provides, protects, cares for those in his steadfast love. Jesus is the fulfillment of this passage. What's your response? We've seen God's favor poured out in such a special way on Ruth and Naomi. You saw their response, a deep thankfulness, praise, and love. 
What should be our response as we see the ultimate redeemer? First, rely on Jesus as your refuge. Rely on Jesus as your refuge. If you know you're lost in your sin, look to him. Trust in him and what he's done in his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. His promise is that if you trust in him, it was for you personally. And it works for you personally. Trust in him. Be forgiven. And then as you strive to serve him, trust that he can take care of the it just so happens in your life. He can take care of the just, it just so happens in your life. He will show you the grace and favor that you need, even through hard times. Rely on him. Second, praise him. Did you see the response? Praise him. Church people are weird, right? Do you go to any other groups where you sing a lot, you know, where it's like half of your experience together is a musical? Maybe you do. I don't. Uh, but we've got this community where it's like, we sing. Weird. Why? Because when you receive grace, you praise. It's just a law. It's in the Bible. It's in your heart. When you, when you receive love and favor you didn't deserve, your heart goes, ah, and you praise. That's what you do. So we praise. We praise. We go to him. We sing his praises, worship and thank him from the heart. Friends, when we sing up here, it's not always perfect. But join us in, in singing not just about Jesus, but join us in singing to Jesus. He's our redeemer. Third, love, love. When you're thrilled with the steadfast love of God, you love others, right? Ruth converts, she's thrilled with God's love. She loves Naomi, even when she doesn't deserve it. Naomi, as she receives God's love through Ruth, her, hearts get melt, her heart gets melted and she starts to, to love Ruth as well. In our bitterness, friends, isn't it easy to be like Naomi? The first chapter, you know, what, you know what's on Naomi's mind? Naomi. I, 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 me, 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 I, 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 me. You know what's on Ruth's mind? Naomi. When it comes to your local church, are you more like Naomi or Ruth? Listen, as Jesus is the Boaz to our Ruth, we need to be the Ruth to someone else's Naomi. Love. Rely, praise, love as we feast. I just can't help doing this little, little pastor trick. It just worked this way. So Boaz, the redeemer, by his grace and favor, brings Ruth in to do what? Eat, eat the bread and, and dip it in the juice. I mean, come, it's too much for me. I don't think the Lord's Supper was in the author's mind. I'm not saying that, okay? But listen, as Boaz brought her in and provided for her in his grace, she feasted and was satisfied. And guess what we're going to do together? We're going to feast together as we take the Lord's Supper and be satisfied in our Redeemer. And just as you take the bread and put it in your mouth and eat it, so he is your Redeemer and Savior who's taken you under his wings, died on the cross for your sins, 
Just as you put your faith in Christ and drink that juice, so Jesus has redeemed you. We sit under his wings. He's our refuge. For those who know him, there's nowhere else we'd rather be. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, there's no refuge or redeemer like you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use my very weak words to lift our eyes to see your beauty. Lord, for those who don't know you today, let them hear your invitation to trust Christ, to look to him as the refuge who saves them from their biggest problem, their sin, and brings them to yourself as a child of God. Lord, help us rely on you. Help us praise you from the heart. Help us love one another. Help us to be like Christ. Help us to be like Ruth in committed love for one another. And then, Lord, satisfy us. And satisfy us even now as we take the Lord's Supper, knowing who you are for us and what you will be for us forever, our Redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.